Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. Well, again, good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Leah Kramer and Casey Klimek, our Director of Children's Ministry and Children and Youth Intern, for offering that, that children's message. For the past two weeks, we've been journeying through Jonah, chapters 1 and 2 with Pastor Evan. And as you can see in the bulletin, we are not reading Jonah today. And I'm not Pastor Evan. Pastor Evan and his family um, are out with COVID and they ask for your prayers. We're continuing to do just that, to pray for them and all who are affected by uh, this, this uh, latest surge as they isolate themselves and recover. We'll be continuing with our regularly scheduled program next week with Jonah 3 uh, when Pastor Evan returns. And today, for just a moment, we'll catapult out of the belly of the fish and take a quick detour to a plane. The flat kind, not the flying kind, kind of plane. Here we'll catch the end of a sermon from Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. At the end of this sermon, we hear three parables addressing what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow Jesus. The first one might be familiar about those specks and logs. Make sure to take the log out of your own eye before getting up the business of others and the specks in theirs. The second one is about good and bad trees, and this one for today, the third, is about the structural integrity of houses. Before HGTV, there was the Sermon on the Plain and the Parables of Jesus, but I think it's safe to leave the reality TV home improvement to Chip and Joanna Gaines as long as we're leaving the uh, handling of the refinement of our hearts to Jesus. The Sermon on the Plain, especially the part that we'll be studying today, reminds us that anytime, anytime we encounter Jesus, we can expect to live differently because of it. We can expect to be transformed in ways that might surprise us. So with that in mind, let's go to the text together. You can feel free to open up your Bibles in the pew or at home uh, or follow along on the screen as we read chapter 6 of the Good News according to Luke, verses 46 through 49. Here Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. That one is like the one building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock, when a flood arose, the river burst against the house, but could not shake because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like the one who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, it quickly collapsed, and great was the ruin of that house. This is the word of God for the people of God, and so joyfully we say, thanks be to God. Please pray with me once more. 
Lord, we come to you confessing that sometimes we don't walk the talk. Sometimes we're quick to call out to you when we're scared or when it's convenient or when it might be socially advantageous. Yet to do so without enacting our faith, putting it into action, is to find ourselves once again broken down and underwater. Speak to us, O Lord, as we seek to live our lives in ways that matter, in ways that are true, in ways that are faithful, in ways that glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in seminary, I took the train often, a couple stops, train to train to train to train. Spent a lot of time on the train. And I'm super nosy. I mean, curious. I'm super curious. So I like to make friends, or when prospective friends were few, I would enjoy listening to the calls of business people. Some entertainment. At one point, I heard one individual talking to their boss and I know that it was their boss because of my excellent intuition and pastoral sensibilities, as well as the fact that they muttered an expletive before whispering, it's my boss. The individual proceeded to say very little of substance, which ended up being a very long call, but I stuck with it. They mostly said things like, mm-hmm, yeah, got it, absolutely, sure, Totally, I understand. Mm -hmm. That's right. That makes sense. Completely, exactly, correct. I can do that. No, no questions. I'm sure. You got it. Very soon. Bye. Seemed like a pretty positive call. A little boring for me. Admittedly, my sleuthing on the complex lives of corporate America was usually a bit of a letdown, but my fellow professionally dressed passenger ended up saying something more funny after they hung up the phone. They looked out the window as if it was a movie scene and not in fact the quiet car that was filled with a few glaring and annoyed people seeking silence. I never knew when it was the quiet car. I never chose the quiet car, just made a bunch of mistakes and ended up on the quiet car. Anyway, the individual looked out the window and says, I had no idea what they were talking about. It occurred to me that their wistful monologue on the train window ran counter to the responses that they gave on the phone. They were being very affirming to their boss. I got it, yes, no questions. They seemed like they knew what they were doing or at least what they were supposed to do. So either they were just steeped in self-doubt and would later figure out a way to make it all work, or their future performance evaluation would include some kind of heart-to-heart -heart or a termination of contract. I didn't get to catch the end of that saga. My stop had just come up. But I imagine situations like this are pretty common. We want to do what's expected or what we're supposed to or what we had meant to, but somehow we end up unsure if or how we'll follow through. This can happen when a teacher is in front of the classroom and asks everyone, okay, any questions? And total silence. And then as they exit the room, they look at each other and say, I have no idea what's going on. 
Or when a friend reaches out to you and you say, yeah, let's connect soon, and you mean it, and it just doesn't come together. It doesn't happen. Things just don't line up. Really, this kind of thing happens anytime when there's a better way to do something, and we know it, and we just go with the crowd, or we take the more expedient route, or we justify a decision that clearly goes against our values, but what's done is done. We knew better, but we didn't do better. Luckily, fortunately, Jesus knows us. He knows our best intentions and how they can be forgotten along the way, or how we can trick ourselves into thinking that making the to-do list was just as good as accomplishing it. I laughed when I was writing this sermon. I was remembering a friend from college who would often go to the gym. They would dress up, they'd wear the gym clothes, they'd be out the door really early. Uh, the gym had a great smoothie bar, so they would get a smoothie, they would talk to a few people, they would come back to the dorm, and I would later hear them telling someone else, yeah, I got up early, I went to the gym, and had a, a great rest of my day. They went to the gym, but I don't know what else happened. In our passage for today, Jesus concludes a sermon that's full of wisdom and divine imperatives or commandments, and essentially says, oh yeah, one last thing. All those things I just said, I've been talking about for a good bit now, um, you actually have to do them. You actually have to follow through. Don't just nod and smile, do it. This reminds me of the parent who says to the child, now don't forget your lunch. The child's upset or just a little annoyed, says, I got it, I got it, I got it. I won't forget. And then two hours later, the parent gets a text message, and what does it say? forgot my lunch. Happens to all of us at some point. Jesus knows us. Jesus knows that happens. Here, though, at the end of the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus asks this question, and here I'll paraphrase it uh, the way that Eugene Peterson does in the message translation. And he asks, why are you so, so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but you never do a thing I tell you. These words, I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements on your standard of living. These are foundation words, words to build a life on. That's right, words to build a life on. You know, it's true that we value words a good bit in Christian community. It's one of the first things I noticed as a spiritual wanderer, a church-hopping teenager, these people a very particular language that they're using. Reading the Bible, praying, and the Christian life in general is a lot more like reading and living poetry than many other things. Scripture is full of story and metaphor, showcasing the power of language for us to connect with one another and connect with God. God uses language to bring creation into being. By the speaking of words, the world is made. God's love and power are illuminated through incredible stories and poems and metaphors. Things like a big fish and skies that open and oceans that part and tongues of fire and doves and mustard seeds. Someone shows up in the lost and found. And Jesus said, there you are. I've been looking everywhere for you. Let's go home. These words are, are powerful and intentional 
and loving these words of Jesus. That's why some Bibles put Jesus' words in red. Don't miss it. Pay attention. Check these out. He means what he's saying. Listen carefully and respond. The words that Jesus is using here and elsewhere are words like love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Be merciful even to them. You who are weeping, someday you will have joy again. You who are hungry, someday you will be full. Follow me. These aren't tips for a non-existent utopia or advice for once you get your life together, then we'll add this on as the icing on the cake. Nice accent paint for a beautifully furnished home. To make it clearer, Jesus said, if you work my words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of their house on the bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed into the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. Aren't we in need of a foundation that's built to last? Jesus asks it a couple other ways in case they don't land the first time. Aren't you thirsty for the living water? Aren't you in need of the way? The clearer path, more than just the next quick fix. Because if you've lived long enough, you know that the winds will blow and the rivers will rise and the seasons will change and you will need help. Maybe today you need help. So we can't be foolish, Jesus says. We can't slap that Jesus bumper sticker on the car or post the Christian meme and say, done, done for the day. That'll be enough. We can't go to church on Sunday mornings and attend to our spiritual lives as if they're somehow disconnected from the rest of our lives. It's one life. The spiritual life is this life. Being a Christian is not like going to the dentist every few years, never brushing and hoping it works out. Rather, discipleship requires our, our focused attention our sustained commitment, and the follow-through on that commitment. Otherwise, we're sending a letter, but we're forgetting the stamp. We're baking the pie, but forgetting the crust. We're dressing the baby, but forgetting the diaper. That's a mess. Maybe I'll just let Jesus stick to the metaphors for now. It's like building a house, but skipping the foundation, Jesus said. The swollen river comes crashing in, and our house collapsed like a house of cards, a total loss. What's interesting to me about this illustration is that it's possible for both of these houses to look exactly the same on the outside. They're both in the same zip code, and it's possible that the one without the foundation is beautiful, maybe more beautiful than the other one. It's the house that people love to admire, the kind of house that people share on Facebook groups and Pinterest boards, the kind of house that kids eye up for trick-or-treat. But as God said to Samuel in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord does not see as mortals see. 
They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. A feigned or fake appearance of faithfulness is far less valuable than the slow, often unseen work of building a life on the word of God. We should be quick to avoid some kind of social media versus reality faith, showing a picture of a coffee cup and a Bible that we haven't opened in months, or uh, showing this beautiful portrait and then uh, forgetting to disclose the rest. Such versions of Christianity are why many are frustrated with Christians. Many are frustrated by the quick mention of thoughts and prayers at every crisis that doesn't always lead to action. Thoughts and prayers are not bad. They are, they are not unhelpful. They are, in fact, helpful and necessary and vibrant and expected and required and life-giving. The prayer of the righteous is powerful. But our curt phrases like that could be perceived as diminishing hardship while doing nothing to alleviate that suffering. This is a critique that may be more or less accurate to each person, to each context, each congregation, but it's one that's worthy of our consideration. It leads to the question which echoes later in the New Testament from James. Are we hearers and doers of the word? Or merely people seeking to consume spiritual commodities that can make us feel better fast? A quick coat of paint to get the house to sell. I swear it looks great, just don't look at the inspection report. Here's the good news. Jesus told us to build our house on a firm foundation, knowing that we're pretty new to architecture, knowing that we're not perfect. Jesus is merciful and sometimes is like that parent whose kid sent them the message, I forgot my lunchbox. Sometimes Jesus is the one to text back and say, I know, it's in your backpack, love you. One school of thought says that that kid should learn a lesson, no lunch for you today. I'll have to figure it out next time. Jesus says that's not quite fair, but if it was fair, it wouldn't be grace, it wouldn't be mercy, it wouldn't be Jesus. And we sing often that God's mercies are made new every morning so today might be a new day for us to look at our foundation. So what's next for us? Well, let's reflect for a moment. What are we building our lives on? One way to think about this, a, a thought exercise for us, a guided reflection, is that if someone came to our lives and they, they were a researcher, or if you're a sci-fi person, they were an alien, they were someone who didn't know your life, but they were like coming on the outside of it to gather information, to gather some data about what your life was like. And so they start collecting artifacts, right? Maybe they're a sociologist, they're just trying to understand your life. And so you uh, give them some artifacts and see what they might say. Your bank statements, your text messages, your calendars, as many things as possible that would give a clue into the kind of life you lead. What would the evidence suggest our lives are built upon? Would it be crystal clear that Jesus is our firm foundation? As we reflect on this question and others, 
such as Jesus's question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? May we believe together that all of our trust, all of our faith, all of our hope, and all of our life can be found in Jesus. Jesus is the way and the truth and the light. And perhaps after weathering some recent storms, you could use a new foundation. So let's get digging and let's act. Let's build our lives on the promises of God and trust that Jesus was being serious when he said to pray for those who seemed undeserving of prayer, to love those who we'd rather not. When we encounter someone who is in need of our prayers in person or somewhere else in the news, when we notice that suffering of another, may we pause and take a moment to dwell in the needs of another. We sang at the end of our, our last hymn, let your heart be broken by a brother's pain, a sister's pain, a sibling's pain. Share your rich resources. Give and give again. May we take time to dwell in the needs of others and consider how we might respond with our prayers as well as other faithful acts. Because prayer is an action. May we also seek reconciliation. May we aid in restoration and resist the oversimplification of living faithfully in a complicated, messy world. We can't be afraid and not wrestle with the difficult questions. We have to ensure that our prayers, our supplication, are evident in both word and deed. Let's renew our commitment to be faithful stewards of the mystery. When we're unsure what to do, let's not be like the business person on the train who is seeking to save face and whose career trajectory is uncertain, in my view. Let's spend less time this week concerned what color will paint the walls of our lives. Thinking of how our lives look to others, what kinds of decor people might admire. And instead, let's dig deeper and ensure a firm foundation as we weather the storms and the rivers rise. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.